Today we have Juan Vargas on the show. Do you feel stuck or trapped? Juan Vargas went to technical school and he was a BMW technician. He was sitting in traffic one day and he was thinking of a way of feeling free and finding a better path. Right then and there, he decided to commit to investing in real estate. Fast forward to today, and he's invested in over 2,300 units with 1,300 as a general partner. He focuses on building a strong team around him. Listen and learn how Juan built his business from scratch. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Juan Vargas before we start the show. Juan lives in Texas with his wife and three children. He felt trapped and he wanted a way of feeling free. He wanted a better path for creating wealth for his family and he found it in multifamily real estate investing. He's the host of the Commit to Wealth podcast and he's an investor in over 2,300 multifamily units. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Juan Vargas here with us today. Juan, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, Darren, it's my pleasure. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, you know, just excited to be here uh, with you and, and, uh, and share my story and, and hopefully add some value to your audience as well. Fantastic. So just a little bit on how I know Juan. Um, so we met um, being part of the same multifamily mentorship group, uh, kind of running the same crowds, go to the, a lot of the same conferences, know a lot of the same people. And, um, and Juan actually has a podcast himself he's had for several years. And um, so I want to talk to him about that as well. But before we get going, just wanted to, um, if you could share with the listeners, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Yes, uh, great question. Uh, a little over a thousand units uh, on the LP side, so I'm a limited partner as well. I think it's 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 solid to to be able to do that. And then on the GP side, a little over thirteen hundred, and and deals that we directly oversee and lead um, about nine hundred units out of those thirteen hundred. Fantastic. So maybe start with you know what were you doing before you got into real estate investing? You know, what was your career path? Yes, yes. Uh, um, so what I did uh, before was I was a, a I worked for BMW. So I, I was a technician for BMW. Actually, I did that for for many years. You know, growing up, you know, I, I skipped the uh, the traditional college route um, and I went straight to a, a, a technical school. And that was because you know that's what you know my dad taught me to work hard with my hands and uh, you know be you know learn learn that route right. Um, work hard. 
you know, t- work hard with your hands and, and, and go that route. So I did, I, I went to technical school. I went ended up working for BMW, you know, still went through the, the college afterwards, but, but yeah, that was my path. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting path. So, I mean, you, you, you raised to, Hey, get it, go to school to get a technical skill mm-hmm. so that you can get a job and, and earn an income that way. At what point, and you said you did that for many years. At what point did you all of a sudden say, you know what, there's something different. I'm going to try something different. So I, I remember uh, actually uh, to this day, I remember, you know, driving home, you know, the, the thing about a W2 job is you're driving to work and then you're driving back home. And, you know, that could be, you know, just, you know, an hour each way, you know, at the, at the minimum, right. Uh, sometimes. And I remember driving home and, you know, there's a ton of traffic. And, and I remember also thinking, I was like, you know what, I, it's time for, for a new vehicle, time for a new truck. And then I, I was stuck in traffic at, at, at um, you know, uh, at the light and, and thinking, you know what, if, if I, if I go get myself a new truck, then that means I'm going to be stuck at this job for, for much longer. That means I'm going to be stuck in this traffic for much longer as well. What's the end goal here? Right. You know, I thought to myself, you know what, there's gotta be a better path. I mean, I, I can't continue to do this and, you know, just not spending time with my, my family either. Right. Working really late hours. So then I was like, you know what, that path is going to have to be real estate for me. And I started looking into, into real estate, started looking into single family. And really that's how I got into, into real estate was, was through single family. And then, um, you know, didn't look back from there. So what year was that when you, you purchased your first single family? 2015. 2015. And how did you know, you said the answer was, you know, you're at the light, you have all, you know, you say, where's the, where's the end goal on this? What, you know, what's the better path? And you concluded real estate, but like, I didn't hear anything that you said prior to that, that would even put that idea in your head. So how did you come up with real estate? Yes. Um, so my dad was actually in real estate. Uh, he's been in real estate since, um, since I was you know young, you know, I remember him, you know, telling me one time, like, Hey, you should probably do this as well. But, you know, I was a younger kid. I didn't really think of, of doing that at that time. And, you know, as, as I researched more, it just, it just made more sense for me. Right. And so it was already something that I was, I was thinking about. And as a matter of fact, I had already tried even before I had tried, um, in, you know, around 09, 2010, but I was trying to buy houses at that time, the traditional way, which is, you know, through a bank, and, and you're, you're getting approved, you're getting, you know, finance and all this good stuff. And, you know, during those days, you know, those, those properties and those deals were not, you know, uh, taken off like that. They were, you know, cash buyers, you know, hard money lenders, you know, that type of thing. And so um, I, I wasn't competitive enough, you know, during those days. And so, so that's why, you know, when I was stuck at that light, you know, I reverted back to that. I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it again. Um, it wasn't my first time you know, thinking of that. I'm going to try it again, but this time I'm going to make it happen for real, you know? So, um, so that's how that, that came about, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, what did you do for research? Cause you said you started to research it. Yes. Um, so research, you know, that was reading books, you know, as, as anybody has any interest, I mean, you start to find the best path, the, the best path, you know, to, for your research. And that was books, um, you know, some internet as well. Um, I ended up coming up across a uh, bigger pockets, I think in 2014, which is a, you know, a, a great resource for anybody out there looking to, to really learn. And, and there's A through Z in that. So, but yeah, a combination of all those, um, I think really um, were, were there to, to help and, and assist me in, in, in my learning you know, progress and path. That's fantastic. So bigger pockets 
is a an online you know forum that you you basically that goes over all kinds of different real estate investing and it has um, forums where people ask questions and there's threads that you can see people that that answer um, it could be single family it could be all different types of real estate investing so you could focus in on the niche that you want to look at there's also all kinds of webinars you can look at etc um, you mentioned books was there one or two books that kind of stood out as you know critical in your thinking and in motivation yeah um, actually the very first book that I that I put, picked up um, and specifically in real estate was the million millionaire real estate investor and and I think it's um, I don't remember the, the author's name was it Gary Keller I can't remember the author's name yeah. but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, that was a great book. Uh, I remember reading it, opening it up, and I couldn't put it down. Right? It, it just it made a lot of sense, and you know that's sort of you know it just added more more fuel to the, to the motivation that I already had at that time, and you know I was excited to to get going in that. So, but yeah, besides that book, there's several others, but but that was uh, my very first one. Yeah, that's cool. So I actually bought that book recently. It's on my bookshelf, um, but I haven't read it yet. Um, so, so I'm glad to, to hear you say that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a recommendation from somebody else. And, and, uh, so in any event, um, you know, I love that you said that you were going down a bigger path, um, that you, you know, your dad had done it. So, you know, that's a consistent theme I see with, with a lot of successful real estate investors and, um, is that they find other people that have already done it and then they, they go and mimic their success. So you saw your dad do it. I'm assuming your dad start did single family. So that's kind of kick started right. it. And then, so you bought single family and then how did you even think about transitioning over to multifamily? Cause now you're doing very large properties. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and really my, my single family, one of my single family properties was the reason was the reason why I decided to get into multifamily. So I I had this uh, this property that was you know a good single family rental, and my tenant there was a great tenant. He ended up having having to leave. You know he was in the military. He ended up having to leave and get stationed somewhere else. And and so then I, I went back to the market right to to get it rented again. And you know it took me a little longer than 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 a month. And so what um what I realized at that point was that. You know, I, I had to pay for the expenses. I had to pay for the mortgage. I had to pay for the utilities. I had to pay for 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 um, the turn to to really you know get the property back in rent ready condition. You know, so you know I, w- I was setting aside some funds that I thought were were more in cash flow, but then it, it sort of kind of went back to the property, and and I was like, you know what, this is my fault. You know, you know, sort of a light bulb went off right there. It's my fault because I was relying on one person, right? So I was relying on one person, so I was a hundred percent vacant because of that. And so, you know, the light bulb went off and, and, you know, I thought to myself, you know what, what, if I would have had 10 units, 10 different residents paying, right. If one of these residents would have left, then I still would have been 90% occupied. So it was just simple, simple, you know, idea that just kind of came into my head. And I was like, you know what, I'm done with single family. I'm, I'm going into multifamily and not, not only that, but it was, it was difficult to scale. Right. I had a goal in mind and, you know, I had, it had to take me, you know, uh, 60, 70 houses. And by the time I got to that point, you know, it was going to be, uh, a really old man. <laughs> so right. I, I, I didn't want to wait uh, that long. And, and, and so just multifamily just made a lot of sense. And, you know, um, I, I was also, you know, researching as, as I mentioned earlier, I was learning more about it. So it wasn't something that just popped into my head. It just, you know what, I, I this is, this is the last straw for me. I'm doing multifamily because I had already learned a little bit. Right. So uh, that's kind of how, how I jumped into multifamily and, 
and uh, did no more uh, single family from that point. That's, that's great. So a few things off of that. One is, you know, I talk about this over and over and over again is like, look, you, you got to get educated, but once you get educated, you got to take action. And, and you, you know, you wouldn't have gotten into multifamily had you not purchased, you know, a few single family, cause that's where your mindset was at the time. And then once you did that, you had that experience and then that forced you or, or at least change your mindset to go after multifamily. Um, so, you know, listeners at some point you got to get off the fence and actually, you know, get something done. And then, then all of a sudden your goals change, you know, your goals may not be that big at first, but then your goals change after you get the experience. So I had a very similar experience to you. I Mm -hmm. started with a new construction duplex, um, took a year to build once, you know, we, we leased the, both units like nothing. It was, it was very easy. And the first year, you know, it was like, you know, I just got the money wired into my account and didn't, you know, ACH in my account and it was easy. But on the first renewal, one of the tenants ended up buying a house and moved out at the, I think it was like the end of October. So now we're trying to find a new tenant for November and it went vacant November, December, and January. So oh, three man. months. And so you, I went from 100% occupied to 50%, you know, just like that. And for me, you know, look, I'm, I'm older. I had capital. It wasn't, you know, it didn't change my lifestyle at all. I, I had to pay out, um, you know, cover the difference. But it wasn't like a big deal for me. But for some people, that's a huge deal to all of a sudden be expecting that cash flow. And I think that people underwrite single family differently when they first get in. They think of single family or even a duplex as, all right, what's my total income for the year? What are all my expenses? That's my positive cash flow. But they don't build in, you know, vacancy. And in multifamily deals, every deal, some there's some vacancy that's built into it. So it's already in the numbers. And yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, and and the difference being that you know a lot of the single family, um, yeah, you're you're right. You know, vacancy or economic vacancy, right? Including your bad debt or even concessions and and all that good stuff, right? Um, the difference being, in my opinion, in my eyes, is that single family, most of them will be run by you know maybe a husband and wife, maybe it's it's a it's a side gig that you're doing, right? But but multifamily is, is a business, right? You have you have the the lender is going to be underwriting it as a business. You have to treat it as a business, so therefore you have to account for the economic vacancy, um, you know, uh, proper and reasonable expenses, you know. And and in single family, you, you tend to not do that. It's like okay, well, here's like you said, here's the rent, and and here's my expenses, and, and that's it. This is this is my net. Um, but there's a lot more to it than, than that. And I think that, you know, that's why some people may, may run into trouble, right? You're not, you're not treating it as a business hundred percent from, from the very beginning, right? Exactly. Exactly. So look, today's a very, very, very hot market, right? Interest rates have come down. Cap rates have come down. Uh, you own a lot of different properties. You're uh, both as an LP, as a GP, as a JV GP. Um, so are you a buyer or seller in this market? <laughs> I'm still a buyer. I'm still a buyer. All right. I, I think that, you know, we, we certainly are in, in a very, very hot environment. Um, but, but there's several reasons for that. Right. And, and we don't have to go into all the details, but 
I, I to summarize, um, we're still, still buyers. We're still bullish on on um, on the market. We're we're certainly was cautiously optimistic is is the right way I would say it, right? Um, because uh, you know, again, you know, we are at the top uh, with with pricing. We are at historical uh, low cap rates, but you know, we're still having you know consistent and strong rent growth, um, you know, job growth, you know, all those um, you know items that we're looking for. And and so um, yeah, you know we're we're still looking for new opportunities. So you know, you said you're not going to talk about all of it, but like talk about some of the reasons why you still because you still think that it's a it's a good market to be a buyer because you know I think that there's some people that either haven't purchased before or you know maybe they've purchased one or they've invested in one, but. Everybody knows that it's a hot, hot market, both on the residential side and also on the multifamily side. And there's, you know, there's different schools of thought like, hey, we're at the top and I'm getting out or, you know, hey, I'm I'm a buyer and a seller. And, you know, here's why I'm still buying. And so you said that you are still buying, you know, provide a little bit of feedback as to, you know, what's your rationale? Yeah, uh, a very good question. So I would say there's there's uh, there are several reasons for why we are are still buying. Number one, and and these are in no particular order, right? Um, but number one, I would say you know the the basic fundamentals of what we look for, right, is uh, look for a market that has you know population growth, job growth, um, and, and therefore you have the potential to have rent growth, um, and we're still having that. Um, we you know where we look for properties are, is mainly in Texas, and and Texas. As you know, it's a very strong and pro-business um, state, uh, and so you know, therefore, it's it makes it easier for for us to to pro- proceed with looking for for properties. Um, inflation is is uh, right now we're we're you know five to seven percent inflation, and and so you know, real estate is really an asset that's I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent you know inflation inflation uh, resistant or, or proof, but uh, usually when when inflation increases, um, then everything kind of kind of goes downhill, right? And which means that that rents also go up, they tend to go up as well. And if you are able to lock in a rate, um, you know, on, on your debt at, at a certain percentage, um, you know, a certain debt service, and your rents continue to go up, then then that's another good sign, you know, for for us to, to look at. Um, we, we are looking uh, mainly for for newer quality asset at at this point of, of the market cycle uh, for better quality uh, and better submarkets and better locations. Um, you know, like, like that, if, if there is a little bit of a resistance or, or softening in the market, um, we have that, uh, that tenant profile that's, that has more of that residual income to be able to withstand any correction or any softening in the market uh, versus it going for a you know, full you know, uh, C-class property with, with C-class residents that are living paycheck to paycheck. You know, it just makes it a lot more difficult. But, uh, but yes, I think the other, the other point of that is that you know, we're still in a historical low um, interest rate environment, right? You, know, you can argue that you know, well, yes, your historical low interest rate environment, but then, you know, your prices are, are very high. And and some people may argue that, well, they correlate or they do not correlate. Um, I've seen it to where they, they sort of do correlate in a way, um, you know, where, where prices were higher. I mean, prices were lower, but interest rates were, were a little higher. Um, you know, since then, interest rates have gone down, but prices have increased, right? And so I think that uh, if you're able to lock in a, a, a strong, very favorable rate in, in this environment, you know, you, you should be uh, you should be good for for uh, you know for the foreseeable future there as well. I mean, there, there's there's um, a lot of those reasons, but you know, people also look at uh, prices uh, today, right? Versus 
you know, maybe for example, you're looking at a price, you know, 150,000 per unit on, on a, on, on, on a deal that's called one, two, three main street. Right. And, and, and maybe that same deal seven years ago was 50,000 a door. Right. And, and so you're trying to understand why there's such a big increase in pricing. Well, for, for one, the rents were at, you know, at, at 13, 1400 as they, you know, um, as back then, maybe they were, you know, five, 600 bucks back then. Right. So of course, pricing is going to increase, right. That with the interest rate environment being, being very low, um, you know, it just, it makes a lot of sense, uh, for, for me to, to, to continue to look. I, I think, I thought, I think you brought up so many great points there. I mean, so many great points. Um, look that just growth markets in general, like Texas and, you know, Florida and Tennessee and Georgia and Phoenix and that all, all those areas are seeing massive population growth. And, you know, the big question mark is, okay, if there is a downturn, you know, in the market, you know, I think to myself and I'm like, look, if I was living in a high cost environment, if I was on one of the coasts in New York or California, you know, and jobs were hard to come by, where are you going to go? You know, you're going to go someplace where it's more affordable and there's more jobs. So even in a downturn, I think that markets such as Texas and, and these other growth markets have the opportunity to potentially see continued population growth. And Yes, and, and you brought up a great, great point, right? You, you said downturn. And if you think about it, I mean, this could be, this is, this is actually another reason that I didn't bring up earlier. You know, multifamily has proven to be extra and extremely resilient, right? In, in 2009, 2010, yes, pricing went down and, and yes, um, you know, there was an increase in vacancy, right? Um, but uh, overall, multifamily did, you know, well and it weathered the storm. And then you know, we went through the 2020 pandemic, right? Um, and again, you saw it weathered the storm, right? And, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, we were kind of, you know, um, just, you know, buckling up and, and, you know, getting ready for, for what could have been and what most people thought that was going to be, you know, kind of ugly. And it ended up being um, where multifamily, you know, just paused for a little bit and then just continued is a strong wind uh, behind it and, and just kept, kept moving forward. So I think that's another, another great reason. It's just very resilient, right? It's, it's a, it's a necessity, right? Sh- shelter, you know, over your head. Uh, absolutely. And um, you, you also brought up another great point in terms of inflation. If, you know, if you can lock in your, your debt service, you know, that's fixed over the, over a certain time period. And then your rents, if your rents are going up by, you know, with inflation and inflation is, you know, if it ends up being 5% or 7%, well, then you have that big Delta. So rents are going up, you've locked in your funding costs. So over time, your profitability continues to increase, which, you know, seems like, you know, you can't understand that. But once you hear the story on it, you, you can understand it. Um, so that's why people are still buying. You know, they're able to get low, low interest rates. And a lot of people have the, the thought that, hey, w- w- this inflation is not going to be transitory, you know, which the Fed keeps saying it is. And so if it's not and rents continue to go up, then that property valuation sh- should continue to go up as well. I agree. Yes. Other thing you said was you're going towards more newer quality assets. And I'm hearing that from syndicator to syndicator, syndicator, people that were doing BC. <laughs> I mean, 
it's like a consistent theme. People moving from, you know, BC to A or BC to new construction. And, um, you know, you could understand it from a couple of different areas. One, what, you know, in the pandemic, you know, people that were in A properties could afford the rent and people in kind of the lower end, you know, C properties, they struggled more because they're, they're more, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And if they had their hours cut or, had, you know, lost their job, they didn't have the savings to continue to pay. Um, another interesting data point that somebody brought up to me was that, you know, in the, that C class, maybe B minus class, um, you know, the typical approval area is, is like, you know, one third, 30% or so of your income goes towards rent. So, you know, make sure that, um, you know, the property management company will look for that. But in A properties, I'm, I'm being told that it's more like one sixth. So the, so the people in A properties have a much bigger cushion to continue to make those payments. Yes. And, and, and in addition to that, which is where you brought up a very good point, it's, it's, that's extremely important, right? For you to be able to collect your rent. Um, not only you collect it, but you know, collect it on time, you know, if possible, um, and minimize your, your bad debt. So the, the other side of that is, is, um, if they're like, for example, our, the pandemic that we had, you know, the, the C class residents, right. Which is more workforce. Uh, you know, these are people that have to go to work, right. They physically have to go to work and, and perform their job. Right. And, you know, because of the pandemic, many couldn't, you know, uh, leave, leave, um, leave their, their home and, and go to work, right? Um, they had to stay at home. And whereas, you know, more of the, the A class, maybe B plus residents, you know, a lot of these have jobs where they can still work, you know, they need, all they need is their internet and their computer and they're good, right? They can continue to work. And that was the, the whole work from home, uh, you know, um, press that we went through, right? Uh, over, over the last uh, year or so, and that we're still going through. So they are still able to keep their jobs and still, you know, continue on as, as if nothing happened really. Right. And so, you know, that, that's another big, uh, big point there, right. Um, you know, ju- just, you know, keeping your job, right. Not only paying your rent, but also keeping your job, right. It's, it's very important. Yeah. And, and yeah, keeping your job and being able to work, work remotely is, is huge in today's environment. Um, Hey, talk about partners because, all right. So in single family, you're pretty much doing it yourself. And then you get into multifamily and everybody in multifamily says, you know, hey, it's a team sport, it's a team sport. There's a lot of people involved. Now you talk about it, partners, in a, in a number of different ways. One is you, we've got listeners that, you know, want to break into multifamily, but they don't know how to find a good partner for their first deal. So, and, and they don't know the value they bring. So maybe talk about partners on your first deal and then grow into, all right, now you're partners with a lot of different people on a lot of different properties. You know, how did you, how do you get in the mix? And, you know, what's the um, complementary skill sets and responsibilities for each of the partners? For sure. Yeah. So, so my very first deal was, a, was a 32 unit and I had, I had one partner in that deal and, you know, really the way that happened was, you know, he, he was a general contractor, he still is a general contractor. And so it it really made a lot of sense uh, for, for the both of us. I I sort of ran the deal, managed it, um, oversaw, you know, uh, operations and, and he uh, took lead on the renovations and improvements. And it made a lot of sense. It was complimentary skill sets. 
we both had the same goal in mind. Um, so it made a lot of sense there, right? Uh, on larger deals that I've done, um, you know, I have, you know, for, for, for most of the deals that I've done, I, I've been sort of the, the lead on, on these. And, and by, by that, what I mean is, you know, I sort of have been the person to, to put it together. So have the relationship with the broker, um, you know, put it under contract and then, and then take it from there and just sort of build a team ar- around uh, myself. Right. And, and go from there. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, and when you're starting out, you're, you're wondering, well, how do I get into one of these deals? Right. How do, how do I make it, make it happen to where I could be a part of one of these deals. And it's, it's not a clear cut answer there, but, but really um, what it comes down to is understanding what you bring to the table. And when you hear this all the time, but I think everybody has some sort of value that they can bring to the table, right? Because everybody knows somebody that's, uh, or, or, or you, maybe you, I mean, there's, there's several different ways, right? Maybe you have some financial background, right? Where you can help with the underwriting, right? Or maybe you have relations with brokers or, or, you know, somebody, right? Uh, maybe you, ha- you, you know, of somebody personally that that's well, was wanting to sell a deal, right? And, and, and they're will, willing to sell. Um, maybe, maybe you, um, you have a property management company, right. Or, or you're good at, at managing properties. You've done it, uh, you know, before as a, as a career, um, there's, there's so many different ways where you can bring value. Um, you, you can still be working, you know, full time, you know, and, and, and get into the game really, right. As long as you have the, the team around you, um, and that, uh, that bring the, the, the complementary skill sets and, and where they're going to be committed and, and investing their time and effort into, into a deal. Right. So I think, um, everybody, in, uh, or, or you can have capital, right. That's the other thing, right. You can have capital, you can have a balance sheet. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways. So I, I think that, um, if somebody wants to get in, um, you know, look at yourself and, and find out, you know, what you have in value, what you need, and then, and then find the other person that has those other values and, and bring it to the table and, and, and see if there's a way, right. And just because you have some sort of value, doesn't mean that you can get into a deal either, right. Because, personalities have to match, right? I mean, it's sort of a marriage, right? Um, and, and, you know, in this business, I mean, you know, capital, I think there's no shortage of capital. Everybody has capital right out there. Um, and, and so you know, try to think, find something uh, that you can really bring that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that can be very helpful, you know, is what I would say. I, I think that's great. I, I think it, uh, yeah, you had such great advice there. You know, it starts with mindset. You know, you have to, you have to believe that you, you have value, you know, you have to, if you don't believe that you have value, you are not going to be able to convince anybody else that you have value, you know, to get into a first deal without having that experience. So once you, once you believe in yourself, you know, and you're fully committed, then, you know, you stop taking it personally that somebody doesn't want to partner with you. You just, you know, your skill set, your value may not link up with them or your personality may not link up with them, but there's somebody else that you're well suited for. So you got, you just got to keep on going out and meeting people until you find the right fit. I, I would add real quick as well is if you are uh, more of, a, of an introvert, right? I know it can be difficult to, to sort of put yourself out there, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. If, if you don't raise your hand, nobody's going to know that you even exist, right? Put, raise your hand, you know, step up and, and, and step up to the plate and, and, and talk to people, right? Uh, you know, in my partnerships were, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I usually take the lead role, you know, in some of my, my partnerships, I've had people that have reached to, asked to me in the past, Right. And we sort of, you know, kept in touch and we built that relationship, but they would, they would have never reached out to me in the first place. Then they would have never been in, in the deal or at least not in my deal. Right. And maybe in somebody else's deal. Yes. But, 
but it's because of the, they were willing to, to, to pick up the phone and, and, and call, or, or maybe I was at an event and they, they were able to, to approach me. And I'm not like putting myself uh, or saying that I'm, you know, up here. Right. But, but people are still willing to talk. Right. And I think it's very important. Right. If I, if I want something, you know, um, I have to be willing to talk, right. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right. You heard that the phrase all the time. If, if you're not the squeaky wheel, then, and you won't get that grease and, and you, you won't, you know, be able to have that opportunity to, to be able to jump into a deal. Right. So I think it's very important, just that simple action, right. That's what it is, right. You have, you talked about mindset, but it's also the action part of it. Right. And, you know, people can't read your mind. <laughs> so, yeah. so you no. have to be, you have to be willing to get out there and, and, and do it. Right. So that's used because you know, the person that's the lead, you know, so you're the lead um, on a lot of deals have a lot of choices on who they can partner with. I mean, it's not like there's just two or three people. <laughs> like there's there's a lot of choices. So, you know, you have to be, you know, front, mind, center, you know, to, to, to win that. And, you know, what I would add is tell people what you do, you know. Um, so that's both for partnerships and it's also for attracting investors and, and possibly deals. Um, you know, I had one guy on the show um, that said, you know, he, he was talking to his banker and he told him, hey, and it was president of a, of a small bank, community bank. And he said, you know, I'm looking for these multifamily deals. And, you know, a few weeks later, some broker called him and said, hey, I've got this deal. And he said, how do you even get a hold of me? He said, well, the president of this bank told me you were looking for a deal. Well, they never would have connected had he not told that, you know, the president of the bank that he was looking for a deal. So, and then he ended up buying it and, you know, that got the ball rolling. So you have to tell people what you do. Exactly. Great, great point for sure. Hey, talk about um, preempting deals. You know, one, what does that mean? And then, um, you know, maybe the difference between preempting, you know, before it's even marketed and versus preempting when the deal is starting the marketing campaign. Yeah, so so preempting uh, basically means that you're getting an early sh uh, look, right? An early shot at, at um, you know making an offer, and um, you know if the seller agrees to your offer, um, then they, they'll you know take it off the, the, the table and 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 maybe make a deal there, right? And and why would a seller want to do that? Well, you know sometimes they're they're on the time crunch, right? They they need to close by a certain time. Um, they don't want to go through the whole entire marketing process, um, you know, or or they. They don't want their staff to know, um, you know, at the property that they're going to be selling. So they don't want to deal with that, right? Um, there could be multiple reasons, right? There, there's different motivations, different reasons. Um, but, but yes, I think it's a, it's a great, those are great opportunities uh, for, for buyers to, to go in and sort of um, eliminate as much um, competition as possible, right? Because, you know, it doesn't mean that you'll be the only one preempting the deal. It could be, you know, maybe two or three guys that are taking a shot at, at the same deal, right? So, but it certainly does eliminate uh, the, the masses, if you will, right? Um, so we have certainly, uh, well, we haven't won a deal that way, but we, we certainly have made offers, uh, preemptive offers to try to win deals. Um, I think ultimately, you know, from what I've seen is, is sellers still want their price as if they were going through the entire marketing process, but they're, they're just trying to reduce the time uh, that the deal's out there, right? If they can get their price in a much shorter uh, period of time, um, then they'll be happy to move forward, right? So, um, but but I think yes, you know, if if uh, somebody can take advantage of of uh, uh, of that, um, then then it's great. I'm actually going through that uh, right now. 
you know, it's a, it's a smaller deal that, um, it's a smaller new construction deal that, um, you know, I reached out to, to the broker and I said, Hey, you know, what, what do you have that's coming up? You know, and, and we just, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, went from there and, and he was like, well, as a matter of fact, I have this one, you know, he's, he's willing to take uh, a preemptive offer, you know, uh, let me know what your thoughts are. And I'm actually, you know, going through full underwriting right now and, and maybe make an offer and, and see if we can, um, you know, get this thing under contract, but yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. And, but, you know, for you to be able to put in those positions, I think that you have to uh, be able to prove yourself uh, to, to a point, right? Uh, prove yourself and build good relations with the, with the brokers. Um, because let's face it, they're not going to just send it to anybody, right? Um, they're going to send it to, to people who, who they feel good about and, and who, um, or who ha they have had previous um, working relationships with, you know? So um, but yeah, that's, um, it's, a, it's great. There's a great opportunity to be able to lock something up. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's a win-win because, you know, as the buyer, it's extremely competitive out there. Um, you know, you're having a lot of offers on every every marketed deal and then you go into best and final and then a lot of times it's another best and final after that. <laughs> and um, so it the price can really run up and then, you know, each of the buying groups have invested a lot of time and effort. And, um, you know, when it gets near the end, they don't want to lose the deal. Um, so, so a lot of times everybody gets stretched pretty far. So being able to preempt, um, takes away some of that competition, um, locks the deal up quicker. Um, the benefit to the seller is that, you know, look, if they have a certain price in mind and they're able to achieve that price and also have the confidence that they've got a strong buying group, then, you know, that's, that's yeah, a win for them as well. So they, yeah, they may, if they've gone through the entire marketing process, may have gotten a higher price, but you don't know who that higher price is coming from. It may be coming from a buyer group that, you know, isn't as um, experienced and, you know, it's a risk going with a group like that because they may close or they may not close. Um, that's, so That's exactly right, yes. No, and I was um, going to say, why would a buyer you know, uh, proceed with, uh, with, a you know, a preemptive deal, right? If you're going to be end up paying the same price that they wanted anyway, right? Why not just go to, to the process and maybe, maybe even get it lower, right? You know, if they have a price in mind and, and you go to the process and the market tells you that you can't get that price and you can get it for lower, then why not just do that? Well, the preemptive, you know, choice sort of um, more or less guarantees you a, a strong opportunity to be able to buy the deal, right? Versus going through the competitor process. But yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, really quickly. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I thought that you did win a deal from a preemptive offer. Um, the, the Dallas so, deal, uh, South well, Dallas well, well, deal. That's, you know, that, that's a great question. Yeah. That, that was off market. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so yes, that was, I guess you could call that one, that one a preemptive, uh, you know, uh, deal. Yes. Um, you know, it, it was an opportunity where we, um, you know, you know, the, the seller, right. Yeah. Um, He's, he's actually been uh, one of your partners uh, and, um, and, and so we, um, we were provided the opportunity. Um, yeah, this is a couple years back. That's why it was almost three years yeah. now. Right. Right. But, uh, but yes, you know, we, we looked, we took a, a, a quick look at, and we liked it and, and we proceeded with, uh, with, uh, with the purchase on that one. Yes, you're correct. I mean, so li listen, I mean, listeners, this is an interesting story because, you know, it, one of my business partners told me that he had this other property and he was going to be potentially putting it up on the market at some point. And he asked me if I had interest and I said, I, I did have potential interest. Um, 
well, next thing you know, I, the deal is in contract. And I didn't even know that it was like available because this guy and his partners, you know, Oh man! <laughs> came came through, you know, with a broker and and did a pre- preemptive deal and locked it up. And I'm like, what happened? And he's like, well, man, they gave me an awesome price and and we're done, you know. So so it it definitely can happen. Um, so talk about um, I don't know if you've had any of these, but you you're in a number of different deals. Um, any challenges that came up and how you guys you know, figured out how to, you know, work through those challenges? Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there, there, there have been uh, a number of different challenges on, on different deals, right? Um, you know, the, the deals, um, you know, for, for various reasons, right? But I guess um, for one, you know, uh, COVID, COVID-19, right? And, and I think that's across the board, right, with, with a lot of different groups, a lot of different properties. Uh, COVID-19 brought us challenges, you know, for sure, um, you know, in and really trying to assist residents with, with, you know, rental assistance and, and make sure that they're, they're on track and, and not being evicted or we couldn't evict because of, you know, um, because of the, you know, the, the uh, eviction moratorium and, and one reason or another. Right. And so, um, you know, that one, that one definitely had its challenges. Um, you know, we were going through one property that, that still continuing to have some challenges in, in, uh, in Phoenix, um, you know, um, you know, our, our income has, has, has definitely gone, gone through the roof, which is, which is a great thing. Uh, but the challenge on that property has been more on the uh, on the maintenance side. Uh, you know, plumbing um, plumbing issues has been the overwhelming majority of the of the issues that that we've had. Um, and, and these are things that you know you don't necessarily account for 100 percent um, as they are today. You you underwrite to a certain point, uh, but you don't expect these to, to continue on uh, that way. And, and so that one has, has certainly brought its challenges. And you know we've been uh, you know you know taking taking punches you know and and. And just uh, you know, moving forward, and um, but overall, the, the property is, is doing well. But it could have been doing a lot better, you know, had we not had these these uh, different maintenance issues. And um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you account for it as much as possible, and and you have to be able to be willing to move forward and and take care of these issues um, without letting them get any worse. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me let me talk a little bit about that on the maintenance side. So you know, I got involved in real estate. Um, multifamily like three and a half years ago. And that was one of my fears. Like, I'm like, I've been trading loan portfolios. I have another business. I trade loan portfolios, residential, multifamily, and commercial. And, and multifamily has always been, you know, very strong performer from, from banks, balance sheets. Um, and I like the asset class and understand it. But, you know, I was always like, okay, well, if we buy a $10 million or $20 million property, like I'm not an engineer. Like I, you know, I don't want to buy and have all these, you know, issues that I can't see that I don't understand. And so I want to explain to listeners that, you know, when I got involved in the multifamily mentorship group and started talking to other people that own these large properties, that was like quickly dispelled. Like it was, Hey, you just hire, you know, an expert and there are experts that go out and do inspections of these properties and they'll come back to you with a report that shows, Hey, look, you know, you got 10 buildings and one building has foundation issues and, you know, Hey, we scoped all the lines of the plumbing and, you know, here's some, you know, issues. And, and I didn't realize that that happened. So I kind of was always worried that I'm going to buy an asset and have stuff that I didn't know about, but 
that doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes things can happen where it's out of this scope and you can't uh, know it's going to happen, but there's also a lot that can be uncovered during the due diligence process. That, that is correct. And, and you know, th- that's what those guys do, right, for a living, right? You, you pay them for their services and, and they're able to, to go through, walk through all the units, you know, check out the roof, check out the plumbing, scope the plumbing lines, uh, check out the electrical um, and, and give you that this big report that that you can then further um, you know make make a better decision on whether you want to move forward with the property or not, or you can um, and or you can adjust your your uh, your capex uh, budget uh, moving forward. Absolutely. So you have a podcast called the Commit to Wealth Podcast. Um, talk to us about when you started it. Why did you start it? You know who are your listeners? Who do you bring on as guests? Um, and you know, kind of what the value of, of doing that. Sure. Sure. Thank you. Um, so it's a, it's a podcast that I started in 2017 it is called the commit to wealth podcast and, and sort of, you know, the way, the way I, I started it and launched it was, you know, honestly it, it was because I, I had a, a, a big fear, right. That, that was really the, one of the main reasons why I started it because, you know, I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I made it, I made it really, um, a goal of mine to, to get out of my comfort zone and, and, and hopefully that would help me to to be more comfortable, um, you know, when when speaking to people, right? Whether in person or or, or uh, via a video call. Um, was that was that the fear, like public speaking, public talking to people? One hundred percent. You know, I I felt that I was um, an introvert um, in a big way, um, but I also, you know, in addition to that, I wanted to learn more about real estate. I wanted to learn more about multifamily. I want to learn more about wh- how people are putting their deals together and, and maybe take some, some, some ideas, you know, and, and, you know, to, you know, get to the point where, you know, I, if I was doing deals, then maybe I would be able to, um, you know, take some of the, some of that advice or, or, you know, just to help out audience members with the interviews, not, not from me, but from the guests that I was having on the show and, and just really uh, them relaying their message and, and expertise. Right. So, um, combination of, of different reasons, um, you know, guests, um, have been, um, you know, guys that, such as yourself, right. Which we, we need to, we need to get you on. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just, just guys that are willing to share their stories, willing to share their, their time, right. Because, you know, time is valuable, but they're willing to take, you know, an hour out of their day to, 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 you know, provide some, some, you know, their message and provide some insights into how, how they're doing their business. And, you know, some tips and tricks, you know, for other guys that are looking to, to be in their shoes one day, uh, um, you know, something similar. So, but yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we did it, uh, for, for a few years, uh, we'll be, um, right now we, we sort of, uh, are, are in that, in that, a gap, you know, to, to do a season two, um, here coming up in, in the next year. So we're excited to, to get that, uh, relaunched and, and, uh, and get that going. And, and, um, you know, just it's exciting, you know, it's, it's, uh, just, uh, able to talk to many people and, and really, um, you know, one, one exciting point for me personally, honestly, is, is, um, building relationships with others in a, in a closer way that you wouldn't have been able to, had you not had a, some sort of platform like, like a podcast. So I think it's, it's multiple reasons for me. Yeah. I mean, that I, I love it. I love it. Um, and I've experienced a lot of the same things. Um, so one, I wouldn't have thought that you had that fear. Like, look, you know, it's so interesting because, you, you think of people that do a podcast or, or, you know, or, um, whether it be people that are on stage as a, you know, a band or whatever. And, and 
you hear people say that they're, you know, afraid to talk to people, afraid to get out in front of people and like, well, why would you do that? And you said something like you were forcing yourself to get uncomfortable. And so many people that I have interviewed, you know, they, they continually achieve a goal and then they set a new goal that is uncomfortable, you know, in whatever facet it is, whether it's going bigger or trying something new or whatever. And, you know, in my experience in life, like I'm the most excited when I'm learning something new and I'm pushing myself someplace that I haven't been before versus just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. But you don't, you know, it's, it's you, you have to force yourself to do it. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's very difficult. Just thinking about you getting yourself, putting yourself out there um, in these uncomfortable situations but man, I'm telling you, like ever since I've, I've done, you know, I've done this and, and been out of my comfort zone, it's, it's really, it really has made everything so much easier. It's like, if, if this was my biggest fear and I just did it, I, I've done it before. I know I could do it again and, and nothing's going to happen. You know, <laughs> you're, you're thinking that, you know, maybe you're going to be embarrassed. Maybe you're going to be hurt or somebody's going to say something to you or, or maybe you're not qualified enough or, or you're giving yourself all these reasons why you shouldn't do it, but you're not going to Negative, th- negative talk. You're right. But you're not really giving yourself a chance. You're not really telling yourself, well, why should I do it? And these are the reasons why I should do it. Right. And so you're thinking more about the negative than you are the positive. And, and, and you know, you're not really doing you're doing yourself a disservice by doing that. Right. So I think if, if everybody um, if you're in a similar situation out there listening, uh, really think hard and, and, you know, about, you know, the positives and, and why you should do it. And those positives should be, you know, much, much bigger than those negatives. Those negatives, you know, should be much smaller. Um, and, and just, just do it. You know, nothing's going to happen. You know, your fears are, are not going to happen and, and things will be, will be just fine. So uh, I really encourage everybody to, to, to get past those, those fears and, and get out of your comfort zone because really growth does happen on the other side of, of fear in your comfort yeah, zone. Absolutely. So, um, in terms of, you know, there'll, there'll be people that will listen to your podcast or my podcast, you know, a few episodes, right? But we're recording every single one of them, right? <laughs> so, so we learn from every guest, like you said. So, you, one, you, you, you had, got past your fear, but also you, you can learn. I learn a little snippet from every guest that comes on that I never would have learned had I not done it. And then secondly, you mentioned, you know, just getting exposure to people. You know, I've partnered with a number of people that ended up coming on as guests. You know, like you, it, you are spending, you know, half hour or an hour with somebody that you wouldn't have spent otherwise. Um, you know, you go to conferences and you, and you meet people and you see people, and, but you may spend five or 10 minutes and it may be much more surface talk and you don't really get to know them as well. Um, so that's a huge another benefit. The other thing is, is that this is, you know, everybody tells me multifamily syndication is all about finding deals and finding investors. So it's an opportunity to educate new investors to get involved. It's also an opportunity to, to find partners um, and, and grow from there. So that that's fantastic. Look, you, it's funny how you said that because, you had a podcast for, I started mine last summer sometime. So 2020, you, you started in, you said 2017. So two, three years before, right? 
2017 or 2018. I think I think it's actually 2018. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yes. So still two years prior to me, and you know, I know I know Juan's got this podcast, and you know, it just all it just I don't know gave me the impression that you totally knew what you were doing, like gave me like credibility um, to you. And, you know, I want to learn from this guy, like this guy, you know, he's, he's connected with a lot of people and whether, and then I, now I learn when you start that you were afraid, like, you know, but like, you don't think that, you know, um, other people that I've interviewed that had 3000, 4,000 units. I'm like, you know, one guy was from India I'm like, do you just have a ton of people in India that just like wire money to the U.S.? Like, you, you know <laughs> yeah. that you. It seems was, that way, right? Yeah, <laughs> like because you you feel, you feel like it's overnight success. But he's like, no, man, the first deal was tough, you know. But then we gave a good return to the investors, and then the second deal got a little easier, and then you get a little easier from there. And I'm sure you see the same thing, you know, in terms of. Um, Maybe asking guests to come on the show, you know, finding partners, finding investors, all of that. It takes time to build that, but then it, it gets does. easier. It does. You know, it's, you know, it's uh, repetition. It's, it's, uh, it's performance. It's um, communication, right? If things will go well, you communicate it, right? Um, it, it's, uh, it put is, it, you know, showing your face, right? Um, in, in those toughest times, you know, and, and really, you know, for me, um, you know, that builds a lot of trust. So, so I'm a limited partner as well. Right. So, um, I take a lot of, uh, the limited partnership uh, side and, and put it to action on, on the, on the GP side. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, what exactly do you put to action? The, the communication, the, the, like the, the reporting right? or, or the lack of reporting that, that, uh, that we won't get right. Um, you know, I'll make sure to, you know, Hey, you know, w- with some of these deals, I'm not getting reporting. I got to make sure that I, that I do report, uh, for, for my investors. And, and what does that do that, 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 uh, builds trust, right. Uh, that tells you that, Hey, you're, you're not, you're not hiding away from, from the issues you're, you're, you're confronting them and you're telling, you know, your investors, well, look, this is what happened. This is how we're going to address it. And, and this is what's going to, what's going to happen from there. Right. So you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, like I said, I've had, I've had my fair share of deals where, you know, the, the guys, um, you know, don't communicate and they kind of sort of go, go dark. Um, and, you know, I'd rather you just, just tell me, Hey, look, if things are not going well, we're, we're all adults here, you know, just, uh, just be honest and, and tell us, you know, about the process and what's going on and, and, and let me, um, let me feel more comfortable about it, you know, because you, you told me, you know, and so I think it's very important that you do that. And if you don't, then you're, you're losing some credibility there. Yeah, that's a great point. You brought it up earlier that you thought that being an LP, you know, helped you become a GP. And I think that that's important. I would recommend that to anybody that, you know, if you've got the capital to, to get into at least one deal, um, then you see the reporting that comes back. And, you know, most syndicators are going to send you an email on a monthly basis that's, that, you know, outlines, here's what's going on with the property. And then they're going to provide, you know, the, the financials. So you can actually review the financials as well. And I'm like you, I like transparency and, you know, if, if something's going, I want to know the good, the bad and the ugly. And, and then if it is bad, you know, I want to know, you know, what action steps you're taking, you know, and, and that helps me know that, you know, all right, this property has an opportunity to kind of turn around. 
Um, and it also is another learning lesson for me. You know, if they do something and it works, then, hey, I got that in the back of my head for, you know, for one of my deals if I, if I see that happen. Um, so I think it's important to, to see that. Um, the other thing I want to tell listeners is, look, whether you're just doing a passive deal for the first time or just getting into your first deal or whatever, and, you know, maybe you don't want to start a podcast, but maybe you can start posting some stuff to Facebook or to Instagram. Tell people what you do, okay? And there's fear in doing that, okay? There are people that will judge you, and that's the big fear, right? Um, But you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the other people that they have interest in it too, but they don't know how to do it. And, you know, a year or two or three down the road, when you get your first deal, they're going to all of a sudden come to you and be like, hey, I was watching you and, you know, I admire that you did that and can you help me? And so I think that's lost on a lot of people. They're, they're so focused on how do I get my first deal? How do I get my first deal? And it's all about them. But they don't realize the ripple effect they can have once they get that first deal and, and helping other people afterwards. That's a, that's a great point. I think that, you know, we're all in the same position or close, close to the same position as, as, as another person out there. Right. And, and so, you know, um, you know, you could be the person that's, that's knocking on the door of, of, you know, maybe thinking about leaving, leaving your W2 and, and, and jumping into like an entrepreneurial endeavor, right. Maybe, maybe it's multifamily or something, but then there's somebody else out there that's, that's sort of thinking the same thing. Right. Um, and so if you're able to take action steps or, or speak, you know, speak up and, and, you know, you're sort of speaking on their behalf as well, right? So, you know, like you said, people appreciate that. They they, they admire that. Um, maybe they weren't, didn't have the opportunity to, to speak of themselves or, or ask those questions or, or put themselves out there, but but you were, right? And But it also shows that, hey, you, you're able to do it. So so if you're able to do it, then maybe that gives me the the uh, the uh, optim, optimism of, of being able to do it as, as well, right? Um, you know, so it's, it's very important that, that we all, you know, sort of rise together and, and and, and go for our goals, right? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's the right there in front, in front of us. I mean, we live in the, in the, the best country in the world, right? And, best and country. Best country in the world by far, um, hands down. And so, you know, people come here from all over the world uh, because of the opportunities. And, and so I think, you know, we have to be able to take, take advantage of these opportunities, right? Because they're right in front of us. But you got to get past the fear, get past your, your, your comfort zone, right? Because they're right there, you know? And, you know, that's why, you know, I think, and not to get off subject, but that's why I think a lot of, um, a, a lot of uh, immigrants are are so successful in this country, right? Because you know you, you sort of you sort of you know come from a country where, where you went through a, a lot, right? A lot of struggle, and, and and you come here and you're not afraid to go through that struggle again, right? You you wanna you have certain goals and and that you put it, you know you set yourself you know for uh, and and you, you you go after them, right? And and sort of you know being raised here, I was born and raised here, right? You sort of become a little complacent, right? And it's like, well, I'm, I'm already here, you know, and, and you sort of just, uh, you go about your day, day to day and, and without really pushing harder, right? You take things for granted uh, to a point, right? Um, I don't know, that's just uh, my, my thoughts there, but I think it's important that we, we keep that fire, you know, we keep that fire and going. I completely agree. Um, a gentleman that we both know, David Anko, um, had him on the show and he's, I didn't know this, but he said that up until like 1989 or something like that, um, late 1980s, it was illegal to be an entrepreneur in Russia. Oh, wow. It was illegal. 
you could not buy a product and then mark it up and sell it to somebody else for more. That to me is mind boggling. So, you know, here in the U S we've had, you know, you could be an entrepreneur for years and years and years. You could do, do whatever you want, build whatever business you want. It was illegal. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy to me. So, Hey, uh, what's next big stretch goal for you, man? Um, yeah, so I would love to, to be able to, to continue, right? Continue um, you know, growing here here in Texas uh, mainly. Um, love to be able to, you know, get into some ni- nicer, uh, newer quality assets uh, here here in Texas. Um, and, you know, really be able to provide some some very strong returns for, for, for our investors. And, um, you know, if, if I can, you know, change, uh, you know, some of their lives, you know, even in a small way, then that's that's exciting. Um, you know, really, you know, be able to spend, you know, time, more time with, with family, uh, which is, you know, very important, um, and, and, and be able to give back, you know, and, um, through different, uh, chari- charities and, and church and, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think it's, it's our, our, you know, I see it as, as a responsibility to, you know, if, if I can you know, be able to, uh, push hard on the business side, then, then that means I can be able to, um, help more people on, on the charity side. So I think it's, um, it's something that uh, I had to keep pushing towards, you know. Awesome. Awesome. What do you like to do outside of work? Outside of work? Oh, um, <laughs> a lot of different things. I mean, I like to, to get out outdoors. Outdoors is, is really, it's, it's awesome. You know, um, hunting, fishing, uh, I'm a big gun person. So I love uh, shooting. Um, I love sports. Um, so um, go Astros. Um, love sports. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, um, you know, all sports and, and spending time with, with family, right? I think that's what it comes down to spending time with family. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, just staying at home, watching a movie uh, or just going somewhere and doing things with them, going to water parks, going to different, um, you know, recreational centers. Just you, know, you, you have young kids. How old are your kids? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Um, seven, 10, they just turned seven, 10 um, and 13. So he'll be 14 in, in December. So yeah, they're, they're, they're not you know, very young, but yeah, they're, they're still, they're still young. You're young enough to give it a spend, spend a good time with them, you know? So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, how can somebody reach out to you if they want to get to know you better? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, people can reach out to me, uh, via the website, um, at genwealthcapital.com as genwealthcapital.com or they can send me an email, uh, Juan at genwealthcapital.com. Um, you know, a couple other ways is, is through social media. So just, um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, you know, look me up and, and I'm happy to connect. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, hey, listeners also check out his podcast. He's, he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. Um, he's a mover and shaker and he's partnered with a lot of people and he has a wealth of information. So um, appreciate you coming on listeners. I hope that you enjoyed that one until next week. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 